Welcome to The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Thursday, October the 8th, 2020. On this edition of The Politocrat, a look back at last night's vice presidential debate between Senator Kamala Harris and Mice. Welcome to The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Thursday, October the 8th, 2020. On this edition of The Politocrat, a look back at last night's vice presidential debate between Senator Kamala Harris and Vice President Mike Pence. That's coming up next. This year's election is going to be a little different. Instead of one election day, we now have a voting season. That special time of year when polls can open weeks before election day. When your mailbox can become a voting booth. When how you vote is just as important as who you vote for. How, when, and where to cast your ballot depends on your state. Tis the season to be prepared. This year, plan your vote. The two campaigns and the Commission on Presidential Debates have agreed to the ground rules for tonight. I'm here to enforce them on behalf of the millions of Americans who are watching. But the thing is, she didn't enforce the rules. I mean, she just didn't. I mean, she tried. Susan Page tried to enforce the rules, but she had a very rude, intemperate, disrespectful vice president of the United States to contend with and like his boss was showing off to an audience of one and to his base and it was just downright pathetic and disgraceful of Mike Pence to behave in the rude, arrogant, cavalier way that he did. Very disrespectful of the moderator. But also, Susan Page has to take responsibility in that moment. Susan Page has to put her foot down. And I get it, you know, the sexism and the patriarchy and the genderism and the uh, the male chauvinism. All those things are at play when in this sexist world you have a male candidate on the debate stage and a female moderator and a female vice presidential candidate. Mike Pence was disrespectful to both of them and both of them being the moderator and the vice presidential candidate sitting to his right, both female and both disrespected at various points during the night, last night, by Mike Pence, who just talked over them, talked through them as if they weren't there, filibustered himself all the way through, took an extra two or three minutes past the allotted time that he had. Susan Page, well, you've got 15 seconds, Mr. Vice President, and he would take up three minutes. Senator Harris, you have two minutes uninterrupted, and he... She was interrupted several times during those two minutes. 
And then Pence had the goal after interrupting Senator Harris to then, when it was his turn to respond, say, well, I just want to go back to something that was said before. I mean, Mike Pence was a disaster last night. He was an absolute disaster. But I think that Susan Page should have absolutely put her foot down, just like Wallace tried to do. Chris Wallace last week was pathetic as well. But there were varying points where he tried to put his foot down. And I know that because of the sexist society that we live in, if Susan Page had put her foot down, everyone would be saying, oh, Susan Page, not everyone, but people, some people would be saying, Susan Page is really nasty. And, you know, all these very gendered and sexist things that get said that men and women say about women who do exactly what men do. And quite frankly, that was a tightrope that I want to get into as far as uh, Senator Harris was concerned, because she had to walk a tightrope. It wasn't really talked about a lot, but the fact of the matter is, is that as a black woman, this is the history-making debate. And this was the first time that a black woman was participating in any debate, be it vice presidential or presidential. And that's major. That is major. This was the first time in American history where you had a black woman or any woman of color for that matter. But in this case, a black woman on the debate stage for, the, for any office, whether it's the highest office in the land or the second highest, Yet there was this tightrope that Senator Kamala Harris, who did very, very well last night, I think she was excellent, still had to walk. And I'll talk about that a little bit later on. But my point is that Susan Page um, was really dreadful. And no one's really talking about that either. But the truth is she did not do a good enough job last night. She was not strong enough. She was not forceful enough. And had she been, I don't think that Pence would have done what he did. And maybe he would or maybe he would, would, would or wouldn't. I don't know. But look, I, I actually think that he would have been a lot more circumspect. We need to have debaters, excuse me, we need to have debate moderators who are going to put their feet down and I can think of at least half a dozen, male or female, I can think of at least half a dozen right now, right now, off the top of my head, who would have done, in my view, a damn sight better job. I'm just being, I'm just being really frank about that because I don't think that Susan Page did a good job at all. And besides Mike Pence excessive rudeness his Pence's excessive rudeness and disrespect is not even part of this equation because as reprehensible as he was the moderator has to moderate and I don't care if the moderator is a female a male you know I don't care who the moderator is if they moderate if he moderates if she I don't care who 
the moderator has a job to do and that person in that moment must put their foot down. And the Commission on Presidential Debates is become a laughingstock. What you need to do is cut the mic of Mike while Senator Harris is talking. How many times does Senator Harris have to say, uh, excuse me, Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking, I'm speaking. How many times does Susan Page have to actually say, thank you, Mr. Vice President, thank you, Vice President Pence, thank you, Vice President. How many times does she have to say that last night? If it wasn't once, it was at least a hundred times. And he completely disregarded her, kept talking through her as if she were not there in the room. So definitely Mike Pence is a disrespectful snob. And a lot worse than that, because he may have the mark of the devil on him since he got flies coming on his head and resting and seeking refuge in his covid adult brain because this guy did not look well last night. If you watch that debate, you can't tell by the audio clips that you're going to be hearing, but this guy did not look well. There was something with one of his eyes that wasn't quite right. His face looked very ashen and he looked kind of pale. Smells like COVID to me. What do you think? And the plexiglass, look, look, I mean, I like the shots where you see them reflected in the glass. I think there was a really nice cinematic quality to that. But I'm sorry, I am not taking a chance debating with someone who has a fly land on his head. And that fly does not move for at least a minute. I mean, that's the stuff of legend, ain't it? A fly during a debate just land on your head and you don't even move it. It doesn't even move. I mean, that's freaking telling to me. I don't know about you. That's a sign this dude needed to quarantine. And I think that fly needs to quarantine, quite frankly. Jesus God, it didn't even have the good sense to wear a mask. Two minutes to answer without interruption by me or the other candidate. Then we'll take six minutes or so to discuss the issue. At that point, although there will always be more to say, we'll move on to the next topic. Well, again, that did not happen, did it? If you watched the debate last night, you saw Mike Pence talk his way through his time limit, as I said. And there was many interruptions. I mean, this is a carbon copy of last week's debate between Biden and Trump, except here, Mike Pence was a little bit more civil in terms of his demeanor in interrupting. But the fact is he interrupted Senator Harris many times. He talked over Senator Harris. He talked over the moderator. He ignored the moderator like she was standing still. He did not care about the moderator. He completely obliterated her position and her standing. This is a so-called Christian, right? This conservative Christian who won't be in a room having dinner with anybody who is female, who is not his wife without his own wife present. 
And I'm telling you, I wonder what his wife was thinking about the way he was treating the two women who were on that stage with him. One of them, the moderator, the other, his opponent, Senator Harris. I don't know. Maybe she didn't give her rats. Mother Pence, I don't know. Maybe she didn't care. But as a male, I'm sitting there watching that, thinking this guy, you know, he is just absolutely crapping all over the moderator here. And it's just ridiculous because he has something that he can get away with. His whiteness and his maleness allows him and Donald Trump to steamroll a debate by being rude, by breaking the rules. And people kind of subliminally just live with it because that is what you expect from white men who have toxic masculinity in them or from any man, but particularly these white men who think that they can just do what the F they want. And most people will, uh, you know, they won't blink an eye. But let Senator Kamala Harris do that. And then we'll see something very different in the American public. And see, that's the thing. Kamala Harris had a very delicate line and it's not really being talked about a lot. I mean, some people probably have talked about it. I have not really watched any of the analysis on the cable networks. I thought that I would skip most of that and just kind of really think about this because it's not that I don't think, but Kamala Harris, Senator Harris had a really difficult balancing act to do. She had to speak to the American public. I, I'm sure we'll find out the ratings soon about how many millions of people watched, many of whom even now still don't know who she is. They may have had a glimpse of her at the convention, but yeah, you know, that was nearly seven weeks ago now. You know, that was nearly seven weeks ago, about eight weeks ago almost. That convention was on the 17th. Kamala Harris spoke on the 20th. So we're almost at seven weeks, just about seven weeks. And, you know, a lot of people probably have forgotten. People forget. We forget these things, right? These, these conventions were, I mean, you know, seven weeks ago. Six, seven weeks ago. So Senator Harris had to be because of the racism in this country, because we've got um, a vast cross-section of the country, white people who, a vast cross-section of whom are blatantly racist or subtly racist or latently racist, Senator Harris as a black woman is talking predominantly to a large section of white America. And the white Americans who are fans of hers and who will vote for Biden don't have this issue. But there's a huge swath of people who are white in America who are now coming to this with, ooh, this black woman. And so they are sitting around their televisions looking at Kamala Harris. And I thought Kamala Harris, as I said, was very, very good last night. 
But don't you ever dare think for one moment that she did not have to restrain herself to a degree. And that's the sad, sick thing about American society when it comes to women in a male-dominated patriarchal society, a sexist society, a misogynist society. That the female candidate has to slightly dial it back because she's going to get called this and she's going to get called that. And if it's a black woman, well, hey, she really has to look at how she's saying something. I mean, all those attacks on Michelle Obama as first lady by a lot of these white... I mean, don't you remember that? When the this white mayor in New Jersey, she was talking about, well, her kids this and how dare her kids get to do that. And it's all these racist attacks. She wasn't the only political official who attacked the first lady and her children. I mean, there's so many of these punks did, these cowards. Oh, yeah, but we're not going to... We should keep children of presidents and children of, well, you know, we should keep them out of this because they're off limits. You shouldn't go after the Trumps. Yeah, but the Trumps are actually part of Donald Trump's administration and cabinet. I mean, if they're not officially in the cabinet, they are day-to-day operators. Jared Kushner his son-in-law, you've got Ivanka, oh my God, Ivanka Trump, good grief. You've got Donnie Jr. and you've got Blumin' Eric. These people are fair game because they are part and parcel of the Trump crime family. Oh, but let's just attack Sasha and Malia Obama because that's really tough and brave of us. But Senator Kamala Harris had to really, this is really sad, but it's true. The racism in this country and the sexism in this country and the misogynoir in this country forces Kamala Harris as a senator to rein it in a little. But she still did very, very well with what she did. She went at Mike Pence, caught him in a billion lies, corrected the record, argued her case told the American public why Joe Biden and she would be better stewards of this country and steering its ship better than Donald Trump and Mike Pence have. And she succeeded in all counts. Now, she could have hit him harder on a couple of things, including the coronavirus and the fact that you had plexiglass there in that debate hall. Quite frankly, they should have been in separate rooms. If you really want my opinion, they should have been in separate rooms. I do not think that that plexiglass is enough. And given the fact that Pence didn't look well, (laughs) I just hope that um, Senator Harris takes another test for COVID-19. Senator Harris, the coronavirus is not under control. Over the past week, Johns Hopkins reports that 39 states have had more COVID cases over the past seven days than in the week before. Nine states have set new records. Even if a vaccine is released soon, the next administration will face 
hard choices. What would a Biden administration do in January and February that a Trump administration wouldn't do? Would you impose new lockdowns for businesses and schools and hotspots? A federal mandate to wear masks? You have two minutes to respond without interruption. Thank you, Susan. Well, the American people have witnessed what is the greatest failure of any presidential administration in the history of our country. And here are the facts. 210,000 dead people in our country in just the last several months. Over 7 million people who have contracted this disease. One in five businesses closed. We're looking at frontline workers who have been treated like sacrificial workers. We are looking at over 30 million people who in the last several months had to file for unemployment. And here's the thing. On January 28th, the vice president and the president were informed about the nature of this pandemic. They were informed that it's lethal in consequence, that it is airborne, that it will affect young people, and that it would be contracted because it is airborne. And they knew what was happening and they didn't tell you. Can you imagine if you knew on January 28th, as opposed to March 13th, what they knew, what you might have done to prepare? They knew and they covered it up. The president said it was a hoax. They minimized the seriousness of it. The president said, you're on one side of his ledger. If you wear a mask, you're on the other side of his ledger if you don't. And in spite of all of that, today they still don't have a plan. They still don't have a plan. Well, Joe Biden does. And our plan is about what we need to do around a national strategy for contact tracing, for testing, for administration of the vaccine, and making sure that it will be free for all. That is the plan that Joe Biden has and that I have, knowing that we have to get a hold of what has been going on and we need to save our country. And Joe Biden is the best leader to do that. And frankly, this administration has forfeited Thank you, their right to reelection based on this. Thank you, Senator Harris. Senator Harris did an excellent job. And I, look, this was an, an historic moment. And I think that everybody in the United States of America should really be proud of Senator Harris making history and not only making history as the first and only black woman to be on the presidential or vice presidential debate stage, but the job that she did in the way she acquitted herself, given everything that she had to balance, she had to bring forth the message she had to amplify the message that Joe Biden tried and pretty much was successful doing last week. She had to get more into the policy. She had to dodge the traps that Mike Pence was going to be setting for her. And she did largely do that, I think. Did that very well. Look, Senator Harris did an excellent job. And an excellent job considering everything. Because it was not easy, I'm sure, to do all of these things. She first had to speak to the American public. Second of all, she had to really reintroduce herself. Third of all, she had to dodge the kinds of traps that Mike Pence was going to try and set for her. Then she was also going to have to look at how much she could really turn up the volume on him. And she did in many instances turn up the volume, but there were places where she could have absolutely gone for broke 
and no one would have said a thing. She did a very good job when she talked about coronavirus. You just heard in that clip a great example of how strong she was on that. I think she should have pointed to those two pieces of plexiglass as another dramatic example because you've got a visual prop you can use. And in debates on television, visuals are everything. And any little edge you can get, you should use. And especially when you're dealing with a debate. Because those two pieces of plexiglass were sitting there waiting to be invoked. And for reasons known only to Senator Harris, she just did not invoke them for whatever reason. But look, she had an, she did an excellent job in this debate last night. My question is, what happened to Vice President Pence going first? We had been told all week that the first question would go to Mike Pence. He would get the question first. And that just didn't happen, as you just heard. Senator Harris got the first question. So I thought that that was definitely not on. But still, Senator Harris knocked it out of the park. Why is the U.S. death toll as a percentage of our population higher than that of almost every other wealthy country? And you have two minutes to respond without interruption. Susan, thank you. And I want to thank the commission and the University of Utah for hosting this event. And uh, Senator Harris, it's a privilege to be on the stage with you. And our nation has gone through a very challenging time this year. But I want the American people to know that from the very first day, President Donald Trump has put the health of America first. Before, there were more than five cases in the United States, all people who had returned from China. President Donald Trump did what no other American president had ever done. And that was he suspended all travel from China, the second largest economy in the world. Now, wait a minute. No, no, no. We're going to stop you right there, uh, Mike, because there were still over 40,000 Chinese nationals who made their way to the United States in something like 1,300 flights in the month of January of this year. This travel ban, this China travel ban that Pence just lied to you about was just a complete bit of nonsense. First of all, as I said, there was still over 43,000 people who came to the United States through airports in various places. So, even if there was some kind of ban, which there really wasn't, there were still people traveling into the United States. I mean, there were still people traveling into the United States. This notion of a, a travel ban, or oh, we're banning China, it's just not true. It was no ban at all. It was a ban only in name and it really did not do anything. It was slim to none. 
And the only ban was the first three letters of the word banana because people slipped through and slipped on banana peels because that was how embarrassing this so-called ban was. So Mike Pence is lying right there to you. That was like the first lie of the night from him. Any more for any more? But I can tell you, having led the White House Coronavirus Task Force, that that decision alone by President Trump bought us invaluable time to stand up the greatest national mobilization since World War II. And I believe it saved hundreds of thousands of American lives. Because with that time, we were able to reinvent testing. More than 115 million tests have been done to date. We were able to see to the delivery of billions of supplies so our doctors and nurses had the resources support they needed. And we began, really, before the month of February was our, to develop a vaccine and to develop medicines and therapeutics that have been saving lives all along the way. And under President Trump's leadership, Operation Warp Speed, we believe, will have literally tens of millions of doses of a vaccine before the end of this year. The reality is, when you look at the Biden plan, it reads an awful lot like what President Trump and I and our task force have been doing every step of the way. I mean, quite frankly, when I look at their plan that talks about advancing testing, creating new PPE, developing a vaccine, um, it looks a little bit like plagiarism, which is something Joe Biden knows a little bit about. And I think the American people know that this is a president who has put the Thank health of America president. first and the American people, I believe with my heart, can be Thank proud of the sacrifices they have made. It's saved Thank countless you, American president. lives. Yeah, you know, that was just a sneak preview of the uh, repeated talking through the end of the time. Oh, and, and the repeated, thank you, Mr. Vice President. Thank you, Vice President Pence. Thank you. I mean, that's the weakness, right? When you don't have a moderator who's going to put her foot down. I mean, I don't think I mentioned names um, of those people I mentioned earlier, or, or I didn't know. I said people, there are people who would do really, who would be really strong as moderators. And I don't think I mentioned their names. So let me do that now. And if I did mention their names, I'm repeating them. Roland Martin, you've got people like Randy Rhodes, Tom Hartman, Amy Goodman, um, you know, um, April Ryan, um, uh, Mariana Osa, um, there's so many people I can think of. Um, Hui Xia Zhang. You know, people who are either reporters, journalists, whatever. Who, you know, Joe Madison. I think I said Roland Martin already. You know, um, who, Karen Hunter. Who would do a darn sight better, more aggressive job at reining these folks in. Reining in a Mike Pence or a Don. I'm telling you. They would not stand for the garbage. They just wouldn't. And I'm sorry, Susan Page was too mild, too meek, too nice. And I hate that saying that because I don't believe there is such a thing as being too nice. But she did not put her foot down. She behaved more or less as if this were some kind of fireside chat that she was having with Senator Kamala Harris and Mike Pence. But the reality was, is that, you know, Mike Pence disrespected her. I mean, let's be honest. Which is something male Republicans know how to do. They know how to dis disrespect women. They do it all the time. 
But Susan Page, I mean, it's a difficult job for her. I think it was a little bit, 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 you know, I think it's a bit much for her, to be honest. To be frank, rather. I mean, did you notice Pence had an issue with his left eye? Right, the kind of in the corner, the corner of his eye. I mean, that is one of the symptoms of coronavirus to some people is this kind of reddishness. And people call it pink eye, but there's a reddishness in the corner or the cornea, the corner of the eye. And Mike Pence's left eye clearly had that kind of thing going on. So, you know, I... Hey, I'm only telling you. It hasn't worked. When you're looking at over 210,000 dead bodies in our country, American lives that have been lost, families that are grieving that loss. And, you know... The vice president is the head of the task force and knew on January 28th how serious this was. And then thanks to Bob Woodward, we learned that they knew about it. And then when that was exposed, the vice president said, when asked, well, why didn't you all tell anybody? He said, because the president wanted people to remain calm. Well, let's get so I, no, but Susan, I, this is important, Susan, I, I, and I, I want to add, if, Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. I have to I'm speaking. Yeah, you so can have 15 I, I, I more wanna, seconds, and then we'll give the Vice President a chance to So respond. I want to ask the American people, how calm were you when you were panicked about where you're going to get your next roll of toilet paper? How calm were you when your kids were sent home from school and you didn't know when they could go back? How calm Thank were you, you Thank when you, your Senator children Harris. couldn't see your parents because you were afraid they could kill them? Let's give Vice President Pence a chance to respond. Vice President. You see, this is the thing that just gets me, right? You know, in 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 some ways, Susan Pence, Susan Pence, yeah, yeah. Susan Page, the moderator, put her foot down more when it came to Senator Harris than she did Mike Pence. I mean, Senator Harris was saying some really important things there. And you know, about the American public, about what they've been subjected to with this pathetic administration, this murderous, treasonous administration. And Susan Page is interrupting it. Susan Page, is, I mean, it's just, that's just crazy to me. And there were times like that that it was, I found it quite infuriating that the moderator was doing her job interrupting as a moderator Senator Kamala Harris, but did not do the same job when it came to putting a stop to all the rude interrupting and all the interrupting that Mike Pence was doing. It was a complete double standard. And that was really problematic for me. I I'm, I just could not. I was not having that. She was much tougher on, my, uh, on Senator Harris. And it just led me to be suspicious, quite frankly. the American people have made. The reality, if I may may finish, the reality is, Dr. Fauci said, everything that he told the president in the Oval Office, the president told the American people. Now, President Trump, I will tell you, has boundless confidence in the American people, and he always spoke with confidence that we'd get through this together. But when you say it hasn't worked, when Dr. Fauci and Dr. Birx and our medical experts came to us in the second week of March, they said if the president didn't take the unprecedented step of shutting down roughly half of the American economy, 
that we could lose 2.2 million Americans. And that's the reality. Thank you. They also Thank said to us, if we did everything right, Susan, we could still lose more than 200,000 Americans. Vice President now, one Pence. life lost is too Thank many, you. Susan. But the American people, I believe, deserve credit for the sacrifices that they have made, putting the health of their family and their neighbors first, our doctors, our nurses, our first Thank responders. Thank you, Vice President Pence. And I'm going to speak up on behalf of what the American people have done. Vice President Pence, you were in the front row in a Rose Garden event 11 days ago at what seems to have been a super spreader event for senior administration and congressional officials. No social distancing, few masks, and now a cluster of coronavirus cases among those who were there. How can you expect Americans to follow the administration's safety guidelines to protect themselves from COVID when you at the White House have not been doing so? Well, the American people have demonstrated over the last eight months that when given the facts, they're willing to put the health of their families and their neighbors and people they don't even know first. And President Trump and I have great confidence in, in the American people and, and their ability to take that information and put it into practice. In the height of the epidemic, when we were losing a heartbreaking number of 2,500 Americans a day, we surged resources to New Jersey and New York and New Orleans and Detroit. We told the American people what needed to be done and the American people made the sacrifices. When the outbreak in the Sun Belt happened this summer, again, Americans stepped forward. But the reality is the work of the President of the United States goes on. A vacancy on the Supreme Court of the United States uh, has come upon us, and the president introduced Judge Amy Coney yes, Barrett. Thank you. Thank you, Vice but President. At, at yes. that, if I may say, that Rose Garden event, there's been a great deal of speculation about it. My wife Karen and I were there and honored to be there. Many of the people who were at that event, Susan, actually were tested yes. for coronavirus, and it was an outdoor event, which yeah. all of our scientists regularly and routinely advise. The difference here is President Trump and I trust the American people to make choices in the best interest of their health. Uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris consistently talk about mandates, and not, not just mandates with the coronavirus, but a government takeover of health care, Thank you. Thank the you, Green President New President. Deal, all government control. We're about freedom and respecting the freedom of the American people. Let's talk about respecting the American people. You respect the American people when you tell them the truth. You respect the American people when you have the courage Which we've to be a leader done. speaking of those things that you may not want people to hear, but they need to hear so they can protect themselves. But this administration stood on information that if you had as a parent, if you had as a worker knowing you didn't have enough money saved up, and now you're standing in a food line because of the ineptitude of an administration that was unwilling to speak the truth to the American people. So let's talk about caring about the American people. The American people have had to sacrifice far too much because of the incompetence of this administration. It is asking too much of the people. Susan, we talk no, about the It is asking too much of the people Look, that they would not be equipped with the information they need to help themselves to protect Susan, their parents the and their no, I'm children. Sorry. Uh, Kamala Harris, Senator Harris, I mean, I'm sorry. It's I'm fine, not, I'm Kamala. No, no, you're Senator Harris to me. Um, for life to get back to normal, Dr. Anthony Fauci and other experts say. Now, that was a really strong moment for Senator Harris. You know, she looked, you, know, you don't see this, of course, if you're listening to me here, but she looked into the camera and talked to the American public. The sacrifices that we've had to make, and we've had to make many. 
many of us on food lines, coast to coast. And Mike Pence was sitting there lying. Oh, we're telling the truth and we've always been honest with you. No, you haven't. Oh, we we helped Detroit and we helped this, we helped that and New York. No, you didn't. Cuomo had to beg you. He begged you to help him. And you even had. I mean, this is just so dishonest. He even had this guy. His boss talking about, oh, we don't need to put these, we don't need to put these ventilators anywhere. I mean, come on. New York doesn't need, what is it, 40,000 ventilators? I mean, take, take this, take this clip, for example. Listen to this. I mean, I'm not making this up. This was Donald Trump back in March of this year. All I want them to do, very simple, I want them to be appreciative. And I say, Mike, don't call the governor of Washington. You're wasting your time with him. Don't call the woman in Michigan. Well, it doesn't make any difference what happens. If they don't treat you right, I don't call. All I want them- if they don't treat you right, I don't call. If they don't treat me right, I mean, come on. That's- and he mentions Michigan and he says that woman in Michigan. Come on. Mike Pence is a blooming liar. Oh, but we helped Detroit. And Governor Whitmer, all March and April, while these goons and these racist thugs with nooses and swastikas and Confederate battle flags and dolls without heads and dolls, Bobby dolls and nooses and pictures of Whitmer with a Hitler mustache and a swastika on her head and death threats to hit to Whitmer. And death threats to her constantly and really disgusting misogynistic things said about her. Death threats made to her and storming the Capitol in Lansing, Michigan. And this guy tonight, last night, excuse me, Pence lying his ass off. Oh, we helped Detroit. No, you didn't. Just come on, dude. Stop lying. Stop being so contemptuous of the American public. The mere fact that you lie over and over again reveals a deep contempt that you have for the American public. Years old on Inauguration Day, Joe Biden will be 78 years old. That already has raised concerns among some voters, concerns that have been sharpened by President Trump's hospitalization in recent days. Vice President Pence, have you had a conversation or reached an agreement with President Trump about safeguards or procedures when it comes to the issue of presidential disability? And if not, do you think you should? You have two minutes without interruption. Well, Susan, uh, thank you. Although I would like to go back. I I think we need uh, to move on to the issue of Well, thank you, but I would like to go back because The reality is that we're going to have a vaccine, Senator, in record time, in unheard of time, in less than a year. We have five companies in phase three clinical trials, and we're right now producing tens of millions of doses. So the fact that you continue to undermine public confidence in a vaccine, if the vaccine emerges during the Trump administration, I think is is unconscionable. And Senator, I, I just ask you, 
Stop playing politics with people's lives. The reality is that we will have a vaccine, we believe, before the end of this year. And it will have the capacity to save countless American lives and, and your continuous undermining uh, of confidence in a vaccine is just, it, it's just unacceptable. And let me also say, you know, the reality is when you talk about, about failure in this administration, we actually do know what failure looks like in a pandemic. It was 2009, the swine flu arrived in the United States. Thankfully, it was, ended up not being as lethal as the coronavirus. But before the end of the year, when Joe Biden was vice president of the United States, not seven and a half million people contracted the swine flu, 60 million Americans contracted the swine flu. If the swine flu had been as lethal as the coronavirus in 2009, when Joe Biden was vice president, we would have lost two million American lives. His own chief of staff, Ron Klain, would say last year that it was pure luck that they did, quote, everything possible wrong. And, and we learned from that. They left the strategic national stockpile empty. They left uh, an empty and hollow plan, but we Thank still learned from Pence. it. And I, I think Vice the American Pence, people, I'm going to say again, can be proud Vice President Pence, I'm sorry, of what we have up. done. And Senator, please Thank you, stop President undermining Pence. confidence in a vaccine. Senator Harris, let me ask you the same question that I asked sure. Vice President Pence, which is, have you had a conversation or reached an agreement with Vice President Biden about safeguards or procedures when it comes to the issue of presidential disability? And if not, and if you win the election next month, do you think you should? You have two minutes uninterrupted. So let me tell you, first of all, um, the day I got the call from, from Joe Biden, it was actually a Zoom call. Um, asking me to serve with him on this ticket was probably one of the most memorable days of my life. Um, I, you know, I thought about my mother who came to the United States at the age of 19, um, gave birth to me at the age of 25 at Kaiser Hospital in Oakland, California. And um, the thought that I'd be sitting here right now, um, I know would make her proud and she must be looking down on this. Um, you know, Joe and I were raised in a very similar way. We were raised with values that are about hard work, about the value and the dignity of public service, and about the importance of fighting for the dignity of all people. And I think Joe asked me to serve with him because, you know, I have a career that included being elected the first woman district attorney of San Francisco, where I created models of innovation for for law enforcement in terms of reform of the criminal justice system. I was elected um, the first uh, woman of color and black woman to be elected attorney general of the state of California, where I ran the second largest department of justice in the United States, second only to the United States Department of Justice. And there I took on everything from transnational criminal organizations to the big banks that were taking advantage of homeowners to for-profit colleges that were taking advantage of veterans. And then, of course, now I serve in the United States Senate as only the second black woman ever elected to the United States Senate. I serve on the Senate Intelligence Committee where I've been in regular receipt of classified information about threats to our nation and hotspots around the world. I've traveled the world. I've met with our soldiers in, our, in war zones. And I think Joe has asked me to serve with him because he knows that we share, we share a purpose which is about lifting up the American people and after the four years that we have seen of Donald Trump unifying our country around our common values 
and principles. Thank you, Senator Harris. You know, neither, neither President Trump nor Vice President Biden has released a sort of detailed health information. So neither of them answered the question that the moderator, Susan Page, put before them, which was, have you had a conversation with your respective bosses about the issue of potential disability to actually continue your duties while in the White House? And of course, neither of them, well, not of course, but the, the fact of the matter is, if you listened carefully to what you just heard, which I'm sure you did, Neither of them answered that question. Um, for the most, I mean, the the question just wasn't answered. Um, Pence answered it with lies and distractions and talking about these things that just weren't true. I mean, the stuff about swine flu, sixty million Americans did not contract it. That's just a lie, and I mean that's just not true at all. I mean, just flat untrue, just flat lies. And Kamala Harris, you should just see her sitting there smiling and shaking her head and looking into the camera and just, you know, almost laughing um, at what Pence was doing. He was just lying. And before that, talking about, oh, well, I won't have you undermine people's confidence in the vaccine. And the question that I don't know if you heard it, because I don't think I played it, was just before that piece was from the moderator was, well, um, would you take this vaccine? And Senator Harris said, no, I wouldn't if Donald Trump was the one who was telling me it was okay to take. But I would take it if Dr. Fauci and other medical professionals said it was okay. Where is the undermining of public confidence in the vaccine in that response. Exactly. It, it's not there because Senator Harris is not undermining the confidence of the public. She simply said that she would trust taking it and she would take it if medical professionals told her to. But not if Donald Trump, who is not a doctor, told her to. But then Pence, oh, you're undermining public confidence. You're undermining the people's trust. That's what Pence did all night. He turned everything that Kamala Harris said into a lie and an attack on her. And he did that by taking more time than the prescribed time by interrupting the moderator, by completely disregarding the moderator, as I've said before, and by just answering whatever he wanted to answer. And in almost every instance, not ask, not answering the question that was posed to him, completely not answering it. And that's a disrespect of the moderator, of the process, of everything. So that's pretty much how this debate went. I mean, there's plenty of other clips I could play you. Maybe I'll play you one more. But for the most part, that's really that what you've heard thus far. Um, and it, this is from the earlier portions of the debate are representative of really how the whole night went overall. Um, I think Kamala Harris was very strong. And as I said earlier, you know, she I think she did have to walk a fine line, unfortunately. 
because in a society that's still very racist uh, and has these very racist stereotypes about black people, but particularly in this case, racist stereotypes about black women, there's a reality that in a lot in, in lots of white America, there is this kind of thing. And it is it is baked into the DNA of this country. It is baked into the DNA of a lot of white people um, who will view a black woman with all the racist stereotypes that the society has long um, conferred upon that black woman through media, through, I mean, it's racist. It's just, it's pure racism. And into that breach steps only the first ever, first ever black woman to be on a debate stage in a presidential or vice presidential forum debate. I mean, that's massive for this country. And that's over 240 plus years She's talking to a living room full of people across America. And many of them are white. Some of them, uh, a larger, you know, many of them may well be racist or are racist. Not every single person, but I'm telling you, this is a very serious reality out here. And I think that she had to... And I think as as good as she was, as excellent as she was, and as effective as she was, I think there were times that she missed opportunities. Now, I get it. You cannot find every single opening at every single moment. It's just difficult. It's very easy for me to sit here and quote-unquote armchair quarterback But when the hot lights are on, and not just a national audience, but a global audience is upon you, watching you, and the hot lights are on, and it's live, you're on. And it is not always easy. In fact, it's not really easy at all. Even when you've done your homework, and Senator Harris obviously was well prepared for the attacks and the spin and the the lies the deluge of lies to pick every single point and every single opportunity. You've got interruptions to deal with. You've got an an ineffective moderator to deal with. You've got other issues that you want to make points about that you have to deal with. You've got the note, the time factor. You want to keep time. Sometimes you'll go over. It's inevitable that people will go over time for a few seconds, but to go over time repeatedly for minutes upon minutes, as Mike Pence did last night. I mean, it was so undisciplined, rude, unbecoming. This is about destroying norms of formats, destroying, as I told you, the administrative state, everything, public confidence. I mean, that's the real truth here, is that Mike Pence and Donald Trump have destroyed public confidence in a lot of the basic institutions of government. The Postal Service is an arm of the government. I mean, you, th- th- I mean, that's a fact. It is a government arm. And people have no longer, many people do not have confidence in it because of what Louis DeJoy has done 
to the post office as he tries to privatize it with Donald Trump's blessing. Trump wants to do the same thing. But Senator Harris, as strong as she was, missed some key points. One of them was about the plexiglass, which I referred to before. Another one of them was about, and she did touch on it, about the horrendous handling of this virus and Mike Pence not quarantining. I think that would have been something to put him on the defensive. And she did put him on the defensive a number of times. But I think that if she had mentioned that, let's see how he responds. His posture was not good. His comportment was not good. As I said, there was something wrong with his left eye. And honestly, something like that would give me pause. And thank goodness it was only one debate. And quite frankly, they should have been in separate rooms. I still think so. Be that as it may, I think that Harris won this debate easily. Pence did not perform nearly as well as he had four years ago against Tim Kaine. I think that Pence probably won the debate with Tim Kaine four years ago. But last night, Mike Pence was nowhere near what I was expecting him to be. I thought that he was going to be a lot better. Um, I thought that he was going to be a more um, effective debater. But he really wasn't. When you really look at the substance, and if you look at the hour and a half or so that this debate unfolded over that period of time, Pence was very poor. And he just was no match for Senator Kamala Harris, who had been prepared, who was very persuasive, who looked into the camera and spoke directly to the American people, whereas Mike Pence tend to talk around them, slightly at them, if at all. And the other issue, again, was the moderator. Susan Page did not do a good job last night. And there's no other way around it. I know that there are people in the news media business who are not going to talk about how poor she was because they are her colleagues, you know, so they're not going to openly say things like that about Susan Page. Um, Susan Page is a well-respected journalist and she's, a, um, I think, a bureau chief and she's uh, someone who's uh, got a lot of power at USA Today, um, someone who has been in the journalism game, if you will. She's been in the profession for many a year. Um, she's worked hard. She's earned, I think she's earned that spot to be a, a, a debate moderator. But with that being said, I just don't think she was very good last night. Not only that, there are lots of other people who've worked hard who could and should be moderators, as I've alluded to earlier. And I think that any one of those individuals that I mentioned, um, should have been in that spot and could have been. And for that matter, could have been and should be debate moderators for the presidential campaigns. But we're probably not going to have another presidential debate for good reason and for a bad reason. The good reason is that Donald Trump still has coronavirus. It's very clear that he does. 
Believe me, if he did not still have coronavirus, the doctors would be jumping up and down telling you so. And because Dr. Sean Connolly has been abysmal, he no longer is giving briefings about the um, health of Donald Trump. That's just not happening anymore. Since Monday, I think Monday was the last time that he actually spoke before cameras and before a microphone. But it is now Thursday and he has not made any appearance before the cameras to talk about Trump's health. And, you know, Trump made videos and all this nonsense. And, you know, it's just an absolute freak show right now. And I think that this country is ready to say adieu. Or should I say good effing riddance to Donald Trump and to Mike Pence and the Trump crime family. I think people have had enough. I think people are tired of it. I think people are fed up. I think people are upset and angry. This whole calendar year has been abysmal. The complete destruction of this country by Donald Trump and those around him and this handling of this virus, which was really malevolent and deliberate by him. People still in their homes, still without jobs, still without all these things. No stimulus, second stimulus bill. Trump said the other day, oh, I don't want a stimulus. We're not going to have any more talks. Then he kind of walks it back only slightly. And as a result, people who are really hurting in this country, and that's millions of people, are not going to have a second stimulus package. That is disqualifying right there and then. And therefore, people who are not going to have a second stimulus to help them along in these troubled times, not to mention, as Senator Harris said last night, millions of people on food bank lines. I mean, it's obvious that you should be voting Joe Biden, folks. You should be voting for Joe Biden. I mean, there's just no way around that. Trump has said no more stimulus talks. That's enough. He wants to ram in a Supreme Court pick before the election, but he doesn't want to get a new stimulus bill that will help millions of people around the country before November 3rd. Excuse me? I think that should be very clear to you. And I think that should be making your decision on who to vote for between these two people very easy. Joe Biden surely has to get your vote. Surely. You know people who are struggling. I know people who are struggling. And let me tell you something. The stimulus package was something that helped a lot of people. And I really would be surprised if someone says, oh, no, that stimulus package didn't help people. It did help people. So the fact that Donald Trump is more interested in ramming home a Supreme Court pick who will take away your health care if you are someone who is benefiting from Obamacare. The fact that Donald Trump would ram home a Supreme Court pick who says that she is not interested in Roe v. Wade, she's going to get rid of that. The fact that Donald Trump would be willing to ram home a Supreme Court pick 
who will get rid of everybody's ability to marry. The fact that Donald Trump would ram home a Supreme Court pick who would get rid of labor unions completely and and enforce a right-to-work country. All of those things should give you pause and should reveal something about Donald Trump to you. And certainly that he doesn't care about you is the biggest one of those. He wants to continue to hold rallies. He wants to continue to spread this virus. He says that he does not want to participate. Speaking of the good and bad reasons, the, the bad reason, the, the good reason is what I said is that Donald Trump is still con- contagious. I mean, he's got this virus still. Joe Biden has said that if Donald Trump is tested positive for this virus, I am not going to be debating him. Certainly, and that's in person, that's what's implied in that comment, although he didn't actually say that in the quote. But it would be, it's clear that Joe Biden, as a 77-year-old man, would be well advised to stay away from someone who is contagious and who has, who has this virus, obviously. Why be in the same room with someone like that? So that was what Joe Biden said. Now, the bad reason that there may not be another presidential debate in this campaign is very simple. Is that Donald Trump has today said that he will not debate Joe Biden if the debate is virtual. And that is just ridiculous. That is Read between the lines here, and I always talk about reading with a third ear. That is Donald Trump waving the white flag. He knows that he's got coronavirus. He knows that. And he knows very clearly what Joe Biden said. He heard Joe Biden. If Donald Trump has coronavirus, if he's positive for it, if he has it, I am not debating him. Not debating him face to face. There should not be. In fact, it was really the the comment from Biden was there should not be a second debate. Now, if the town hall debate, which would be the second presidential debate, happens, it should happen virtually. It should happen virtually. Or the way that the Biden town hall happened earlier this week, at the beginning of the week, which was physical distancing. I thought the NBC town hall was really good in the sense that they properly physically distanced everybody. As did the CNN town hall a couple of weeks before that, when Joe Biden was in Pennsylvania in his hometown. And they had the same thing. It was a drive-in town hall, if you remember, And people were in their cars or by their cars. And Joe Biden was on a stage and he was something like 20 feet away from Anderson Cooper. I mean, it was really good, proper physical distancing. And that's what should be happening. And it should happen virtually. Because if you've got a guy on the stage who's got coronavirus, that is a super spreader, potentially. And I hate that term, but that is what that would be. So Donald Trump is saying now, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to debate him. 
if it's virtual. I don't want to be behind a computer and all that. I'd go back to doing rallies. See, that's the tell, right? The tell that Donald Trump is waving a white flag is when he says, I'm going to go back to doing rallies. That's what I want to do. Because what he's saying is, is that he doesn't want to debate Joe Biden, period. He'd rather be doing rallies instead. That's what listening with a third ear is. And that is really what, as I've said before, people have to do. Listen with a third ear to what's being said and what's not being said and what the implication is. Because he says, oh, well, I don't want to be behind a computer. I don't want to be in a room somewhere. Right? What he really wants to be is outside. That's what he's telling you. Spreading a virus. I don't think I'm contagious. Well, you wouldn't know. You're not a doctor. And by the way, here's another thing about listening with a third ear. He never said that he wasn't positive with the virus, did he? I mean, that's what the comment was today. He never said in that in that in the comments and I didn't play them, but I listened to it. He never said anything about himself not being positive anymore. He would have and he, of course he lies anyway. So even if he had said that, we'd all be sitting here going you're lying. You lie. I mean, if anyone in the White House deserves to have that moniker hung around his neck, it is Donald Trump. But that's what it is when you listen with a third ear. You hear what's being said and hear what isn't being said. And what isn't being said and what clearly was not said. And I'm not even going to play the comments, but I can tell you. He never said, well, I don't want to debate him. I'm not coronavirus positive. So why does he not want to debate me? He never said that. So he's telling you that he is still positive. But he's saying to you, well, I'm not contagious. I don't feel, I feel okay. I'm not contagious. But you're not a doctor. So he wouldn't know. But he never sat there and said, well, I am not positive. So in other words, he's still positive and he wants to debate in the same room. So he wants to infect people. And here's the other thing that he didn't say in those comments. Or rather, the other implication is that he doesn't want to talk to you, the American public. I mean, that's the most obvious read between the lines, listen with a third ear thing that he didn't say, but that he is speaking in volumes to you on. When Donald Trump says that he does not want to debate and sit behind a desk and debate virtually and he'd rather just go to rallies and say, oh, Biden... I beat Biden handily the first time around. No, you didn't. You lost handily. You lost that debate. You got whipped. So again, the projection, the lying, the gaslighting, you know, it's the same routine that we've seen for 50 years from this guy, let alone the last four. But when you say things like, well, you know, I don't want to sit behind a desk, what he's really saying to you, not only is it that he wants to go to rallies and spread a virus, to the quote-unquote disgusting people that he hates to shake hands with, a la Olivia Troy. And the great thing about this virus, the good thing about COVID is that, you know, I don't have to shake hands with these disgusting people, his own supporters. 
But what he's also saying to you is that he doesn't want to talk to you, the American public. That's really reading between the lines. That's listening with a third ear. The, the real deal is, is that he does not want to talk to the American public, to you. That's what he really means. That's what he's saying without saying it. That it's more important for me to talk to my base and spread a virus to them than it is to talk to the American public and debate the issues. So I don't want to participate in a debate where there's a free exchange of ideas because I have no ideas. That's really the listen with a third ear, taking it a step further. I don't have any ideas, so therefore I don't want to talk to you. And I have contempt for you. I don't want to talk to you. I have no ideas. I want my rally. It's all about me. That is listening with a third ear. That is when you extrapolate out the whole dynamic and the whole intent and the whole mindset of Donald Trump. That is exactly what you get. He didn't want to debate last week because he kept interrupting over 130 times. Some people say 180 plus times. He clearly doesn't want to debate because he's got no plan, no record of success on anything. The only thing he's successfully done is murdered over 212,000 people. The only thing that he has done is lie his face off and destroy government. That's his, those are his successes. And pass at least four different tax cuts for the richest 1% of the country, which Mike Pence lied about last night. And pack the court with judges. You want to talk about court packing, as Kamala Harris said last night. Packing the court. Donald Trump was doing that. And Mitch McConnell, by blocking President Obama's last two years of federal judge picks, blocking them and delaying and stalling. He had all these vacancies. And so now you've got all, you know, over 200 really far right or far, you know, conservative judges who are all, most of them under the age of 40, most of them completely unqualified. And yet, because you've got a majority um, Republican U.S. Senate, they all get rubber stamped, which is why you need to flip the Senate blue to stop this kind of madness. So that's when you really listen with a third ear. Donald Trump is telling you he's got no record and therefore I don't want to debate you. That is what he's telling you. If you really get right down to it. And I think he was, and I said this before, he looked unwell. When he debated last week, Donald Trump looked unwell. I think he had the coronavirus when he was debating Donald, uh, when he was debating Joe Biden. I think Donald Trump had the coronavirus when he debated Joe Biden last week. 
I'm telling you, I, I'm telling you, that's exactly what I think happened. And the White House still isn't telling you when he tested negative last. The madness has to end, everybody. The madness must end. And you can end it by voting right now. Vote now. Make sure it's early. Make sure you tell your friends and family to vote early. Make sure that you register to vote. Make sure that you are registered, of course. A lot more states come online this week and next. Uh, early voting now is up to 36 states. Last time I checked. You can go to IWillVote.com. You can go to my page on Twitter, the pinned tweet at the popcorn R-E-E-L that talks comprehensively about voting and links to registering to vote, ballot tracking, um, being a poll worker, you know, um, finding your, your county board of elections office. I mean, these links are all links to the official state-run websites for every state who runs their own election process. I mean, this you will find that to be a great resource. And I thank people who have actually um, said very decent, very nice things on Twitter and, and thanked me um, for putting that guide together. And that, that's for all of us. And, and that's really nice. I appreciate the comments. Um, it's just very important to give people the access to the resources that they need to help themselves with. I mean, that's what this is for. This is not um, for me to do a victory lap or anything. This is about all of us, about me, about you, about all of us. We have to participate in this process. And once we participate in the process, we have to keep doing that as well beyond election day. But let's just deal with, you know, we've got 26 days of voting left. Let's just deal with that first. 26 more days of voting. And I love the campaign that MSNBC has done about this. Planning your vote. That election starts early this year. I mean, MSNBC has done an excellent job of that with their campaigns. You may have heard the plan your vote ad um, that ran um, during um, during this particular episode and certainly the last episode as well. Because, I mean, that is the way that the media should be telling people to get ready and plan your vote, vote early, get your ballot in early. And, you know, it's great. There is even a there's even a, a video circulating on social media from a load of celebrities who are all naked um, You from the at least you can tell from the top up that they are. <laughs> um, and they all sit there and say, well, I'm naked, you know, and this is what you need to do. You need to you need to look at naked ballots and you need to be aware of. Of what they are, in fact, I'll, I'll play that actually for you, even though you can't see it. It's a number of celebrities. Sarah Silverman's there with her hand, with her hands on her breasts. You know, she's covering her breasts. You've got Chelsea Handler doing the same thing. Um, you've got Chris Rock there and Josh Gad and Mark Ruffalo and um, um, Tiffany Haddish. Um, 
and a number of other people. It's it's kind of funny. It's funny. Um, but it's it's something that it gives you levity. But it's you know because it's about the naked ballot, which I've talked about here that Pennsylvania has had issues with, and but it's explained and it is explained really well and in a funny way, taking a little bit of the seriousness out of it, but also driving home the important point. So, um, that's really what I wanted to say about that. Um, CNN has not done a great job on the idea of getting people to vote. What they've done is they've said, your vote is your voice. And come November 3rd, you can, you can register your vote to vote. You know, your vote is your voice and you can be heard on November 3rd. Uh, you know, that I'm paraphrasing. And that's not the message you want to be sending. What you want to be sending is, hey, it's October 8th. You can vote now. Nearly every state does early voting and 40 states do. And I guarantee you that you vote early. You will be someone who can beat the lines, beat the the long waits. You know, that's not what CNN said. You know, it was all, well, come November 3rd, you your voice can be heard. No, the, the election ends on November 3rd. It does not begin on November 3rd. And I think that that's the important thing to continue to tell people that the election ends on November 3rd. And that's what I've been doing, I think, over the last few months, is telling people that, there are still, you know, there's in this, you know, there's many voting days left. There's not that many now. Three and a half weeks. And believe me, that fly on Mike Pence, on his head, the fly that rested on his head last night at the debate, that is not an accident. <laughs> that is not an accident. This is this is biblical, and I'm not even a big Bible reader. I mean, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a staunch practicing Christian in in in, in all the ways that staunch practicing Christians are. But I am someone who is well aware of of the implications of these kinds of things. You've got a plague. I mean, come on, folks. You don't even have to be someone who believes in God or believes in a higher power or believes in any religion to know to see that. I mean, isn't it isn't it obvious this White House what's happened these last two weeks? Isn't it obvious a plague, the Rose Garden? I mean, come on, folks. You don't have to. You don't have to be uh, some theologist or this, uh, you know, this expert in you know to to you know in the Bible. To see what's going on here, you know, the devil and <laughs> yeah, I come on, Beasley Bob and <laughs> the fly that this that doesn't move and it just come on, come on, folks. <laughs> the you know this plague and this the devil and the rose. Go- I mean, again, it, it's just to me, it's obvious. I mean, all you, all you needed now was um, the scene from Magnolia, the movie Magnolia, where all the frogs come out of the sky. <laughs> I mean, come on. Is, what is that? I, I forgot the verse. Isn't that, um, I don't remember, John, I don't know, 318 or something or um, 382. Or, uh, I, don't, I have no idea. See, I don't, I've told you, I'm not, 
necessarily the most biblically versed person, but come on. I, I mean, if, for those of you who are out there who um, believe in a higher power or, or who are Christian and who, are follow, who follow the Bible a lot, lot closer than I, I mean, come on. Don't you, don't you not, you get what I'm talking about, right? I mean, I, hello? I mean, it's inescapable, quite frankly. There are lots of races that require your input, your help, your time, if you have some time. And it doesn't have to be two hours or three hours. It can be half an hour. It can be an hour. If you've got one hour of your day, if you have a lunch break, if you have some time, if you've got half an hour. Please devote that half hour to phone banking or texting someone or volunteering in some way to get people out to vote. It's just very important that that is done. It really is. We want more people to vote, not less. Because that's what makes America a true participatory country in terms of being part of a democratic process. Because, you know, we don't have a representative democracy because we are not voting directly for president. If we had a representative democracy, what would happen is that we would vote directly for the president. We would not be voting for a slate of electors. That's what the electoral college is. The electoral college is something where the electors get together and submit their slate of electors for the state based upon the popular vote. So we are not voting directly for president. I mean, that's something that people don't realize. Some people don't. But look, the point is, is that this is the time to get out there and vote. You're voting for electors who will select your candidate. And they are bound to. And if they don't, there are penalties on that. The Supreme Court, um, a court ruling came up with that this year, I think. The uh, unreliable elector or something. But the bottom line is, yes, the long-term goal is to try to um, abolish the electoral college. Now, that will take some doing, but it's not to say that it can't be done. But one of the ways you start to make that process happen is to put Democrats in the Senate in the United States. If you have a majority Democratic Senate and if you make the Senate races a Democratic sweep, my goodness me, you're on your way to possibly getting rid of this Electoral College pretty easily. I mean, I know that they were, they, but it's possible or at least making the national popular vote be the priority, be the thing. And, you know, there are other Senate races, you know, even the Mitch McConnell, um, Amy McGrath race is not necessarily a fait accompli for Mitch McConnell. So the Amy McGrath campaign could use some help, which means that if you have some time on your hands, if it's half an hour, let's just say half an hour. 
I'm sure that the folks at that campaign would not object to you doing half an hour's worth of phone banking or an hour's worth of phone banking. I'm sure that they would not say to you, no, you can't. Believe me, these campaigns can use any bit of help that they can get. And goodness gracious me, Mitch McConnell, wouldn't you want to see him run out on a rail in the U.S. Senate out of Kentucky? He's done nothing for Kentucky for 30 some odd years. But the voters keep voting him back in because I don't think a lot of the voters. Well, I'm not going to make a judgment on the voters, but I just do not. I'll say this. Information is really important. And if they were aware of the fact that Kentucky has really floundered under Mitch McConnell, well, hopefully they won't, they wouldn't vote for him. But it has. Kentucky is in the bottom five in health care, in employment, in new job creation, in, in the economy, in the economic um, you know, benefits. It, it leeches and mooches off of states like California and New York who pay in to, to, Calif- to, to um, Kentucky. I mean, the voters either don't care about that or they just love Mitch McConnell. And I don't know how you could love Mitch McConnell when he has taken money out of the state of Kentucky to enrich himself and his buddies. I I just don't understand how you could do that. And I do think that is a function of not having all the information and, quite frankly, a function of watching Fox News, which is not even a a news network. It is a propaganda channel. And it's Trump TV and listening to right wing hate radio that lies to you and has contempt for you and tells you to hate people and fear them and be angry at them while not looking at yourself in the mirror and looking at the issues that you might have. And not looking at the people on the top of the whole scheme of power who are the ones who are dominating everything instead of looking down or around at black and brown people as your problem, which they clearly are not. Your problem is with the Mitch McConnells and the Donald Trumps of the world and the Jeff Bezoses of the world who are getting these big tax breaks and whom Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell are giving tax breaks to. Not with black and brown people who are busting their tails, doing an honest day's work. But that's what happens. The richest of the rich have you at the bottom in the middle squabbling amongst yourselves and as long and hating each other. And as long as that happens, let me tell you, that's when the rich continue to steal and laugh at you as you squabble with each other while they continue to steal from you and laugh at you at the same time. There is a lot of work to be done over these next 26 voting days. And by God, we've got to roll up our sleeves just like Rosie the Riveter did during the Second World War. And we've got to say that we can do it. And we can do it. So let's do it. Thank you very much for listening. Subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for the comments. And it's all very much appreciated. Be safe, be well, and vote early. I'm Omar Moore.